Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is the podcast about design and power. Today, I'm joined by two designers and educators, Ali Kadir and Chris Lee. Ali and Chris recently edited an issue of the Canadian art magazine, C Magazine, all around the theme of graphic design. So I obviously ordered a copy right away, and as I was reading it, I was really struck and kind of surprised by their point of view and editorial vision uh, that they used to talk about graphic design within that issue. It's not just a collection of posters or logos or reviews of commercial design, but rather a really deep investigation into what graphic design is and what it can be. And it felt like in many ways, to be honest, a cousin to the questions that I ask on Scratching the Surface. And so I wanted to talk to Chris and Ali more about these ideas. So we opened this conversation talking about the magazine and their vision for it and what they hoped to achieve with the issue that they edited. But we quickly move into bigger uh, topics. We talk about how we talk about design and what we talk about when we talk about design. We talk about design's relationship to power and we get into both of their backgrounds and how they came to approach design this way as well as their teaching work and how all of these ideas uh, filter into the classroom. It's a, a really, really interesting conversation. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive email newsletter that goes out at the beginning of every month that sort of expands on the themes of the podcast, previews upcoming episodes, and I share relevant and interesting links and stories about design and criticism and writing. These memberships truly help with the ongoing production of the podcast. So if you enjoy the show and want to help out, I would love for you to join. Thank you, as always, for your support. And while you're at it, you should immediately buy a copy of issue 141 of C Magazine as a nice companion to this really fascinating episode with me talking to Chris Lee and Ali Kadir. start talking about the issue of C Magazine that you guys just edited. I, I think I heard about it on Twitter. I saw a, a tweet about it or someone sent it, sent me a, a link that it's something I should look at. And so I ordered it right away and kind of read through it immediately cover to cover and just really liked what you guys were thinking about and talking about and what you kind of wanted the issue to be. And so I kind of want to start there and maybe before we kind of get into the themes how did this opportunity come about or how'd you get connected with c magazine or the idea to do an issue about graphic design so i uh used to design c magazine um god i can't remember when but the current designer raf rennie is uh has been doing it for about five years i did it for about five years before him um and the editors and publishers of c magazine um uh, intended for this issue to be uh, the redesign issue, like they wanted to refresh the design. So they thought it might be a good idea to do an issue on graphic design, and, and they approached me um, about uh, editing it, um, guest editing it. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it sounded like a really <clears throat> great opportunity, but I don't know if, if I was personally, individually equipped to do this, mm. take it on myself. So um, I got in touch with Ali because uh, Ali and I had have a kind of ongoing conversation, um, probably about similar things that you're interested in with regards to graphic design. Yeah, trying to find uh, or trying to you know trying to find spaces for uh, 
conversations uh, that have a more kind of critical dimension, um, a more political dimension, um, a conversation that's maybe a bit more angsty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, and yeah, and trying to see where graphic design might uh, have some consequence. Um, so, uh, I mean, beyond, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, so I I, kind of have two questions. And one, I guess, is just simply for people who maybe aren't familiar with C Magazine. Can you kind of just describe what that magazine is generally outside of this issue? And then the second question kind of related is, do you have any sense of what they were thinking or interested in when they said, hey, let's do a issue on graphic design? Because it kind of seems... uh, it's an interesting idea, I think, yeah. for them to do that. Yeah. Um, so C Magazine is a contemporary art magazine um, from Canada based in Toronto. Um, and they've been going since the late 80s, I think. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, it's mainly a contemporary art magazine. Um, as for what they were thinking, I'm not sure what they were thinking uh, specifically about graphic design. I mean, I think you know, in my maybe weaker, more cynical uh, imagination, I think they probably thought it would be like, oh, this is, let's look at some cool stuff. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what my question, my question was kind of cynical, I guess. Also, I was wondering if what you, maybe we can use this to kind of get into the themes that you raise in the issue, but what you ended up doing, was that what they were expecting or, or how, what was that response like? Hmm. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking, but he, the response. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, I think the response has been. I, I, I mean, they're 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 a very. Uh, they've been an extremely supportive lot. Yes, so yeah. uh, the response uh, has been. Their response has been really good. They have said to. Uh, you know, I think they kind of had our back the whole way through from yeah. the initial mm-hmm. pitch sure. that we wrote. Yeah. But they also. Um, they. I, I think that. Uh, I don't know is this like i feel like maybe you cut this out because we're tooting our own horn here a little bit but i just <laughs> ran into one of the people and they said that it's been like a very well selling issue for the magazine and oh, it's been a good thing so i think um generally the public response has been pretty good and and mm-hmm. i think they're happy with that mm-hmm. you know oh nice yeah. i've always found that when i kind of interview somebody who's a little bit outside of the normal type of person i interview that the listenership goes way up because they bring in a different audience that otherwise wouldn't have been interested in the podcast. And I wonder if an issue about graphic design brought in a whole graphic design audience that maybe was aware of C magazine, like someone like myself, I knew of the magazine. I've never read an issue of it before. Yeah. I mean, I think I heard Kate, the publisher say that they'd gotten a lot of international orders for this issue. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, in my imagination, I feel like that's partly because, uh, again, graphic designers are, there are, there's a sort of world of graphic designers out there that are hungry for a kind of discursive space. Right. Um, so maybe that's what it is. That's a, I think that's exactly hitting the nail on the head is um, uh, sort of what Scratching the Surface is doing and what, what we're after. And, you know, I was just listening mm-hmm. to Michelle Champagne's uh, podcast recently. Oh, yeah. Uh, with you and and it's sort of like there's like it, it can be framed in a critique that this is a, a discipline or a field that's lacking 
this discursive space, or you can sort of frame it as like, there's this, it historically hasn't been there, but there's a lot of people who are sort of lining up to try and find right. ways to talk about this and ways mm. to use this to talk about other things at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Right. Right. So let's, can, can we talk about that a little bit more and about kind of the themes of the issue? There's something that you said in your kind of opening editorial statement where, where the original title was going to be design and power. And you decided to just call it graphic design because you're kind of proposing that all graphic design has some sort of relationship to power, which I obviously agree with. And, you know, you probably won me over <laughs> with your editorial statement and just kind of saying that. Can you kind of talk about that thought process and changing that and and how you decided to frame the issue and the themes and what you wanted to talk about in it? I think that uh, I think it kind of goes back to this conversation that Chris and myself have had for a few years around uh, thinking about what, when we talk about graphic design and the sort of definitions of graphic design, that oftentimes we're both really interested in the sort of like this sort of expanded definition <laughs> that doesn't just accommodate sort of an art historical practice necessarily, mm -hmm. but uh, thinking about all of the sort of like machine reproduced artifacts and um, uh, and we both sort of really latched onto this theorist, Lisa Gittleman, who has actually a piece in the magazine. And she sort of borrows this this term from Michelle de Sarteau, where she talks about the scriptural economy. And I think the scriptural right. economy is a really interesting way of talking about um, uh, the sort of discourses of graphic design as it relates to power in that it's sort of the sort of it, it, the ways that graphic, like artifacts, designed artifacts, typeset artifacts kind of create a, um, I don't know, like constitute what, what yeah, I think they do a lot. Of, I mean, this, this is going to, this could be a tangent that turns into another whole other podcast, but yeah, I mean, there's the, the, I think one of the main things that you just said is like the kind of mechanical reproducibility of, of graphical form is what's economically, politically, technologically meaningful about graphic form, or the, or that's what distinguishes it from from other kinds of form making. Mm -hmm. um, if we if we were to put like a kind of solid definition around it, I think that's like a politically useful definition because what it points to is uh, uh, like uh, practices of standardization, um, a kind of production of like normativity. Uh, you know, ideas of like right and wrong, correct, legal, uh, legal, aligned to the grid, not aligned, legible, illegible, which is sort of maps onto like illegal and legal, you know. So right. I, this is like, as you can see, this is, we can like unpack this like uh, uh, in, a, in a million different, I don't know, a thousand different ways. <laughs> uh, um, but, but yeah, I mean, graphic design and power, like I think that's the starting point that we wanted to, uh, to, to yeah. That's the point that we wanted to start at, but there's also like this self-consciousness about how um, like graphic design, the, 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 the term itself, kind of like your first question, gets misunderstood, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or it, it gets a pass often, right? Graphic design gets a pass from critique because, well, I don't know why, but I feel like um, like very like critically attuned intellectual people that i know um as soon as you start talking about graphic design they're like oh yeah i, I you know it's, it's it's easy there's not a lot to talk about there 
there's not right. much more to it right just beyond the surface yeah so so we wanted to kind of recharge graphic design with a kind of uh, again with like an angst or with a kind of tension yeah uh, with of all these ideas that we're trying to that are, 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 us ourselves are trying to like find language for and i think and i think a lot of graphic designers in in their formal practice in their written practice in their sort of you yeah. know like written practice all like i mm. it's 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 surfaces oh there it is again <laughs> uh, shit to call yeah, yeah. I, love, I love this <laughs> on brand baby um <laughs> Like it is surfacing on a lot of fronts. Yeah. Like I think yeah. I, I, I feel like so so many uh, sort of designers and, yeah. and sort of design academics are, are are sort of talking around these sort of the issues. And I think this is the framework that Chris and I have have really sort of glommed mm -hmm. onto. But mm -hmm. um, and it's it's an interesting framework because it just starts to show up everywhere. I think you're right that there is sort of throughout the issue there is this kind of uh, self-reflection about what graphic design even is and how do we define it and I think again to draw kind of connections between uh, your work and the podcast I think that's also what this podcast is about in a lot of ways is kind of questioning what what is graphic design how, how what are how do we define that can we define it um, and I'm kind of really okay with admitting that I have no idea what graphic design is even though this is been my chosen profession for like half my life now um and i'm thinking about this this might be a weird question but i recently interviewed na kim who uh co-curated the fikra design biennial and that was a really interesting project also and is not what you would expect a graphic design biennial to be it wasn't when, when i think of a graphic design biennial again possibly cynically, I think about some posters, some branding, some book covers, uh, and they really kind of problematized what is graphic design. And I think that's kind of what you're doing with this issue also. And so I guess my question is, I think it's great to have that discussion amongst graphic designers, but I'm curious if you have thoughts about that kind of opening up that definition, maybe kind of confusing that definition a bit to an audience that isn't designers. And like the C Magazine reader, where they see an issue about graphic design, and then you have all of this kind of weird stuff in there. Um, how do you think about that? I think there's a few different audiences to, to, to sort of start to reckon with, mm. to maybe to start that uh, I think maybe the readership of C Magazine is already kind of primed for a certain uh like theoretical problematization um i think that uh and and so 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 maybe introducing uh introducing a, a definition of design that doesn't look anything like what they like the assumption of say a typical mm. reader uh is fun and exciting and it, and and it's it's like creatively and productively confusing for maybe mm -hmm. as opposed to being too um uh esoteric esoteric yeah like yeah, there's yeah, yeah. esotericness to the yeah. audience maybe mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i mean i think this yeah the starting point is 
uh, is so foreign to everybody that you, you know you can kind of start anywhere. And so I'm going to go back to something that uh, Ali referred to in, in a little earlier. This uh, media theorist Lisa Gittleman, I think about a lot, um, who who wrote this book called Paper Knowledge. Uh, and then I think the subtitle is Towards a, a Media History of the Document. So for us, the document is a pretty central, or we think it ought to be a pretty central figure within the, you know, what, what gets imagined as graphic design mm. um, because they are designed artifacts. They're mechanically reproduced. They tend to be. Right. Or, or there's a lot of like design operations. I think this is a phrase that you, you use, Ali. Um uh, that sort of like make things into documents. Um, and, and, uh, uh, yeah, this is a kind of important genre for us in order to like confuse, uh, or problematize graphic design. Um, because yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's documents are ubiquitous, they're banal. And I think because they're banality, they get under scrutinized right. and, uh, and underappreciated. Um, and, uh, and we're both educators. Um, and so another thing that we, we talk about is like, okay, well, what if we, you know, teach instead of teaching, like, well, in addition to teaching like logos, books, websites, this kind of thing, what if we taught driver's licenses, passports, uh, maps, tax forms, right. Uh, it's, you know, if we, if we sort of pose that problem within the studio classroom, what other kinds of questions would follow? That's the kind of space that that's that's sort of interesting, exciting as as from that kind of educational perspective of like, what can a designer be, right? Or who who is a designer, right? And so I think what these questions do is destabilize what we already presume, uh, what we tend to presume a designer does, and what uh, design students tend to presume that a designer will become, or, or what they'll become. One of my favorite pieces in the magazine was Tucker Tucker McLaughlin's Mm -hmm. incidental graphics, which I think is kind of exactly what you're talking about right now. And and it's like, yes, that, that is part of, of graphic design. And I think, I think what's interesting about this idea of incidental graphics is that graphic designers often overlook that as graphic design, but then even the public, the people outside of graphic design, don't always think about that as something that's been designed by a person. Uh, And I think that that essay kind of, in many ways, is kind of the linchpin of the entire issue or kind of raises the questions throughout. How did that, uh, how did that essay come about? Or was that something that Tucker had been thinking about earlier? Um, I think, I think Tucker, Chris, and I all found uh, Dr. Gittleman's work at the same, roughly around the exact mm-hmm. same moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, in a lot of ways, I think that that, yeah. that came out of it. And and Tucker is a... Uh, uh, um, he, was, uh, he was both our students. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. nice. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> I didn't never, realize that. He was never actually my student. Oh, we, we were just... Well, you guys worked together. Yeah, we're just yeah. buds, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, his, uh, his... He he just he completed his undergrad a year ago, and, and his final thesis was was looking at all of these uh, forms. And I think this is before he, he found that language of incident, incidental graphics. Mm-hmm. And his um, final uh, work was essentially a reading room, uh, kind of reconstructing 
um, sort of the what he called typographic ghost stories mm. or sort of typography of domination and looking at mm-hmm. uh, the typesetting, like retypesetting treaties and re mm-hmm. and typesetting the pipeline onto like a, a books of Google Maps and, yeah. and sort of kind of re-perform using graphic design to sort of re-perform um, the sort of like all of these sort of documents of, yeah. of uh, uh, exist. Yeah. You've mentioned Lisa Gettleman a couple of times and she obviously is like the the other thread that runs through so many of the the themes. And I will admit that I knew her name. Uh, I had heard of that book that you quoted in the beginning, but I don't really know anything else ab- about her. And it, and it was interesting how her name kind of came up again and again. Um, how did you kind of discover her work and what influence did that have, not just on this issue, but kind of on your practice and how you think about design in general? I mean, for me, I, I just, I came across the book accidentally. I mean, you know, as one does in a bookshop, uh, in Montreal at the Canadian Center for Architecture. Mm. Um, and then I cracked it open and then I was like reading it. The first chapter was about job printing. The, the you know, the, she's working within the discipline of media history or yeah, media theory, media history. Um, and I was like, oh shit, this is about graphic design. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's so many books like that, yeah. uh, that, that, uh, you know, that you don't expect to find. And, you know, realize that what they're actually talking about is graphic design. So, I mean, another one of like that for me is um, Benedict Anderson's Imagine Communities. Oh yeah, that's been uh, on my is... list for for like years, and I haven't oh, yeah. read it yet. I got to do it now. I mean, it's it gets like pretty academic and jargony, but you can you get you know you get it right. Yeah. Like, most graphic designers aren't like super academic scholarly yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, 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 and then another one is James C. Scott's uh, Seeing Like a State. Uh, oh, I don't know that one. Where he's talking about state, you know, state making. But he talks about state making as if it's a form of design. Mm. Um, and so this is, in a way, how, uh, yeah, I think in, in like in our conversations, this is how we like, connected and realized that we're like, oh, we're on the kind of the same wavelength. Um, that there's, uh, there's all of these ways in which design kind of permeates all of these other practices. Right. Of like, well, printing, obviously, but also things like state making um, that, uh, yeah, that, you know, for, for people who are like interested in trying to think about like how design might matter, you know, how we might uh, produce critique through it or think through it. Like these are really important um, moments. I have one more question about the magazine and the issue itself. And then I'd like to kind of take what we're talking about and kind of expand it to your practices more generally. Um, But going off of kind of what you're talking about, about kind of discovering these other books that are not about graphic design, but finding that they connect and kind of talking about the themes of the issue. I'm curious if you can just talk a little bit about the process of editing and putting together this issue. Once you kind of had the themes were you kind of reaching out to people and saying, hey, here's what we're doing. Do you want to write something? Did you have topics in mind? How did you how did you kind of select the people? What was that process like a little bit? It was it was a it was a there was a mixture like we we issued a public call for proposals. Mm, OK, um, 
we we also reached out to a few people, or I, th- yeah. I don't know if we reached out specifically to anyone so much as we just heavily reminded people, like, hey, we're <laughs> right. right? Yeah, we did some heavy please. tapping on the shoulders. Yeah, people. I mean, actually, um, I think pretty early on, uh, I talked to Tings Chak, who wrote the piece on um, Ospal. The, oh yeah, uh, the tricontinental. Yeah, tricontinental. Um, because her and I had been having this conversation about um, uh, kind of rethinking the history of internationalism in graphic design. Mm-hmm. So like the internationalism when you know, we, we tend to think about like the, Sw- the Swiss style, the international typographical style. So, you know, sort of like this kind of modernist tendency. Um, but there's also at this very same time, there's also this stuff happening in Cuba or there's this like propaganda studio called Ospal that's creating um, uh, kind of third world liberation struggles, solidarity graphics and publications. And so like part of the story, the angle of that story was like, well, what if this is the internationalism that we right. in in graphic design history? Right now it's, you know, like if you look at some textbooks, it's like uh, in the margins, it's in a kind of column. Oh, this also happened poster people are. Right, right. Like internationalism, like has mm. such a is is such a late loaded term in these two very different spheres. I yeah. feel like on one in the sort of like graphic design sphere, we talk about international style, as you said, mm-hmm. but in the other sphere, there is you know uh, sort of the history of of twentieth century socialism and I guess it, it, it and yeah. communism, like internationalism yeah. means anti-colonial struggle. Anti-colonial struggle, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So he's one that we we tapped on the shoulder or okay. very direct. We we reached out to very directly. Um, we also had a very I should say like we had a really concerted and please disagree with me if you mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever discussed it so much. But I think we had a very concerted. We made a very concerted attempt to really try and um, open up the field in terms of positionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, we kind of. Uh, didn't want it just to be purely sort of meditations on contemporary design tropes and practices, but we kind of wanted to hear from uh, not just not just like the histories that operate at the margins, but designers who are marginalized. Right. A lot of so and and uh, I, you know, I sort of looking at the magazine. I, I feel like I want to make I want to do like five more issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know, what's missing and or like where things could go further. But um, there's like there there was like a real concerted attempt to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, and that's one of the things that I actually really admired about the issue is, is the, uh, I mean, I, I guess I can't think of a better word, but just the diversity both in voices but also in subject matter uh, and location is really interesting, and you don't always see something like that in a. Mm-hmm. in a graphic design you know book or or magazine or or issue like that to to see that type of range i think is different is actually kind of different uh unfortunately <laughs> yeah there wasn't enough space yeah issue. yeah uh you mentioned earlier that both of you are are teachers and i'm curious about how these themes that you know it sounds like you've been kind of talking about together for years long before this issue came together how do these ideas play out 
in the classroom or influence how you think about teaching? I'm going to talk for you for two seconds. Like, <laughs> what, time I heard about an assignment that you did from a student uh-huh. and I was like, Oh God, Chris just did the thing that I've been trying to do for so long. What is it? it was, um, uh, it was the, 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 the branding of, uh, or commodifying and uncommodified. Co- oh yeah. Tucker did that project. Yeah. 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 Um, same. Yeah. And ever, and that was sort of like, and that was an early introduction deeper into like your practice as a teacher that I was um, like, that's it. That's the thing. Uh-huh. That's like yeah. the thing I've been thinking about for yeah. so long. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I feel like it's been a part of your, your, your teaching practice for a long time. Yeah, I mean that. Okay, so that project uh, that was when I was adjuncting at at OCAD, where Ali is now. Um, that was about uh, yeah, commodifying something that's uncommodifiable. So I gave them a prompt like air. Oh, Try to commodify use graphic design to turn air into a commodity, which is to say, turn it into something that that you limit in supply so that it, it accrues value. Um, and so Tucker actually did this amazing response to the project where he designed the company that, um, that builds buildings that, um, where the ventilation system, it, the ventilation system's functionality is dependent on like your, your pay, like oh, how much wow. you pay, <laughs> like that. So like, like wall signage about, you know, like monitoring levels of, I can't remember exactly the details of it, but it was very, it was a very detailed project, like thoroughly imagined kind of speculative scenario, dystopian scenario, but totally logical within our system. Now, you yeah. Know? But yeah, I mean, for me, like the, see, like giving students these prompts is like a way for me to kind of test theories too. I mean, it, it kind of sounds like I'm using the classroom as a kind of experimental space and students as guinea pigs, but I kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, some students appreciate it. Some are like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we're not on the radio. Can you talk more about that, about that kind of split? I, I have a couple questions around that because this is something that I, I'm thinking about a lot and more and more of my own work is in education and in teaching. And I'm kind of, my first year or two of teaching, I kind of realized in retrospect that I was basically just kind of teaching in the same way that I was taught uh, 10 years ago, which was a very kind of traditional graphic design, even though that's not how I practice or how I even think graphic design should be taught, but it just was easy because that's how I was taught. So it was an easy model and I was kind of nervous to experiment because I wanted to make sure that they felt like they learn something practical. Uh, and I've been moving away from that over the last couple of years and getting a little more uh, experimental with projects, bringing in more of my own interests, using the classroom as a as a laboratory like you were talking about. And uh, I found that that makes the classes overall better and more interesting. And there's always those those people that are like, what is going on? This is not what I want to do. But you know, sometimes they kind of come around and it makes my practice more interesting because there's some connections there now and I can start to kind of test things in different environments. Um, how has that been for you? Or how do you kind of think about that? Or what's the relationship between your larger practice and 
the classroom? Sorry, those were like five really kind of big questions. I just want you to talk more about what you're talking about, basically. Um, I can talk about the thing that I'm a little nervous about these days, or, or the sort of attention that's coming in my teaching practice these okay. days, which is just, um, for me, I'm constantly trying to figure out in teaching sort of uh, a sort of more inquiry-based practice or a more critical practice, whatever you want to call it. I'm I'm constantly trying to figure out what's the baby and what's the bathwater between what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, right? Because because you 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 want your students to to, to be experimental. You want to you want students to be able to sort of use design. Um, this is another quick tangent, but I, I lately I've realized that the metaphor that I'm constantly sort of balancing with in terms of being a a a, a design academic or para-academic uh, is thinking about the metaphor of what I'm teaching is I'm teaching a different, something that's really akin to the act of writing mm. that, that, mm. that design yeah. operates in a lot of ways that like of like writing, that there's grammar to it yeah. and that there's, mm -hmm. there's, and, and you can be a more effective writer and there's, and then there are writers who are really great at destroying all the rules. And then there are other, mm. other writers who work really well within parameters and, and, um, and that sort of knowledge is formed through the act of reading and then the act of writing. Cause I, I come mm -hmm. from a humanities undergrad. So for me, I start there and I've been thinking a lot about, okay, so what's the baby, what's the bathwater on one end? Um, I want students to sort of be inquisitive. I want them to sort of engage with a sort of a, a theoretical position or mm -hmm. some positionality. Um, and then on the other end, uh, I really want to make sure that they're, that they're, that they're, doing this all through the act of form and making right. and, and uh, practice of doing. So uh, sort of completing that circle that it's not just uh, like a really brilliant, um, not just a, a, like a really brilliant speculation with a proof of concept, but like fully sort of fleshing out how mm -hmm. that works either through form mm -hmm. or through other sort of representation mm -hmm. like that, that, that exists beyond mm -hmm. sort of the, the, the sort of purified realm of idea. Yeah, what what I like about what you just said is this sort of like centering of form because I feel like yeah. when into realms of sort of like critique theory, etc., um, there's this kind of counterposition between <clears throat> like content and form or theory and 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 form. Um, but I think form, like you say, and I really like this idea about design as writing. Mm -hmm. Like form is. You know, it is, I don't know, I, I, there's still language that needs to be developed for this, but like form is the theory, form right, is the thought. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think we need to, especially educators need to get better at articulating for ourselves and for our students, like what is the consequence of taking this kind of form over that kind of form? Um, I, I mean, if, if I can, I'll just talk about one assignment. That yeah, I yeah, yeah, go for it. I gave recently. Uh, I teach I currently, I just finished teaching at the, uh, at the SUNY Buffalo. Um, but yeah, so this pairing of assignments that I gave, uh, it was a, a class called uh, Intersections of Design and Community. And so we're using design as a way to sort of like investigate or think about uh, uh, social justice issues. This semester's theme was food justice. More specifically, we we're looking at visualizing the food mm -hmm. desert. Because Buffalo happens to be a pretty severe, uh, in terms of this this issue, a severe context. Um, 
so on the, the first assignment that I gave was for them to use uh, uh, like data based uh, research tools um, to map the food desert, right? To, so to produce forms that ha that have a kind of like a rationality to them, a forms that uh, that are accountable. Like we look historically, we looked at uh, isotype and this notion of like fathomability mm. and visual accountability as a way to sort of determine the parameters of like how you make form, right? Like forms that forms that come out of quantification. Um, and then the second assignment that follows that was okay. How do you visualize the food desert or the notion of the food desert? through kind of more aff affective forms. Uh, so rather than kind of using a, a, a taking a, a rational cartographical approach, there was more of like a video approach. Like how do you condense uh, an experience of uh, a half mile, which is right. the kind of parameter of the definition of a food desert. How do you condense that into like a, a three minute video? How do you condense that experience? And so there's there's that kind of like dimension to it. I don't know if that my assignment was like super successful to be honest, but that's what I'm trying to think about in the class in, in, in education as like it, towards thinking about like how can we invest form with consequence? Like how can or how can we articulate that what the consequence of form is? I think the sec I think I think the success of that assignment really lives though in in um, the fact that you have a class of students then who uh, even if their final, like have, have wrestled with form and mm -hmm. depending on the success of the final thing that they make, mm -hmm. um, they, they leave the classroom and they walk or drive or take public transit to their yeah. home. And then they notice mm -hmm. things are, mm -hmm. and that, I mean, it, it's sort of like that adage that you're not supposed to make great work when you're in art school, you're supposed right. to make it five years after you're done or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, ways, I feel like that what I like about that assignment is it's really, I, this is just a love in now. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what I really like about that assignment is that it's an engine, you know, it's, it's sort of, yeah, no, thanks, yeah. like it's, a, it's an, <laughs> idea, so it's an yeah. engine. They're constantly going to be thinking about yeah. what that visual metaphor or yeah. what that effective metaphor yeah. is Yeah. where they're going to be like, Oh, you know what? It, it yeah. could be footsteps. Well, that was, that was the really hard. Yeah. I mean, Ali came in to, to, to guest for me. Oh, okay. I, I just had, my wife just gave birth to a boy. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> I sub came down and, and subbed in for class and they, they loved you. Oh, um, that's great. But yeah, a, a lot of the, a lot of students ended up kind of defaulting to like making form out of quantificate, out of, out of like data, out of sort of quanti mm. quantifiable material. Um, so yeah, in that sense, it, it didn't do what I thought it would do. And it sort of made me really reflect on like how I write assignments. But yeah, that's no, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I want to I like kind of keep pulling back the conversation a little bit because I'm, I'm really interested in, I, uh, I, I think all three of us kind of think about graphic design in the same way. And it sounds like now kind of hearing about how you think about teaching that, that we're kind of similar in that or we have similar goals or, or even similar challenges, I guess. Um, I'd love to, talk a little bit just about kind of how how you both even arrived at thinking about design this way and just a little bit about kind of your background and the type of work that that you do and and then kind of connect it to how teaching and how C Magazine has then maybe been influenced by that and then also the inverse of that, how working on these projects are kind of changing how you think about graphic design. Um, so, you know, Ali, when I was kind of researching you, I saw that you actually originally studied religion and philosophy. 
Uh, um, could you talk a little bit about that and how that transitioned into graphic design or, or where, where those connect for you? Yeah, totally. Um, I studied religion and philosophy. That's true. Uh, uh, and I was at sort of McGill university. I, I come from, uh, sort of, I, uh, academic parents. Mm. So I think the idea of like art school was, was, um, was, uh, uh, like, it was like it was it was something that even they could have probably fathomed more than I could like <laughs> right. but um you know I sort of grew up in the sort of punk scene and the DIY scene and by the and had sort of taught myself how, like web mm. stuff when I was very when mm-hmm. I was younger and uh, uh when uh so during sort of when I was in college for like walking around money I would do a website for something or even do yeah. the occasional record company for a friend's band. Um, and from there, uh, kind of you, you, you leave school and you don't know what to do. And, uh, my now wife got a, got into, um, a PhD program in New York. So we moved there and I picked up work doing web stuff for nonprofits, which kind of re sparked a, a sort of deeper interest in graphic design. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I, I, I felt like I could get technically better and technically better, but I just, I just felt like I was missing a piece. Mm. So eventually I went back to grad school. I went to RISD um, and uh, then moved to Toronto and sort of, uh, it's funny, like teaching, I really enjoyed teaching and uh, teaching has sort of revived this part of me that I was trying to sort of tamp down from that undergrad, which is just that uh, finding that theoretical approach again. And Mm. that came up, um, that's sort of like been sort of resurfacing more and more. I feel like uh, I still have like kind of like a design practice that that that's really been shunted to the side mm. with academia, just like being a teacher. Yeah. Um, and and so uh, it, I think uh, that undergrad has really led me to sort of constantly be, you know, it, in some ways you, you sort of reinforce certain things that a sort of an art school undergrad will teach you to sort of talk through through making a little bit and sometimes i'm sort of constantly routing around the fact that my default mode is to write Mm. into an act (laughs) like write into an idea and then Mm. make and i'm sort of constantly working around that um can can you talk about what you mean by that so uh in that relationship between writing and then the making How, how what do you mean by that um i think you know, I think that was like a big struggle and, and, and that's always been a struggle for me as a designer is that I can, that I think sort of, uh, I, let me, let me, I have to like sit here and reason this. Okay, for go for it. Um, I think it's been a struggle for me as a designer historically to, to sort of jump into a, pra- a visual practice rather than sort of to start from like a, a, a more, concerted intellectual position and that was a big part of what grad school for me really was about was trying to sort of sidestep that part of my brain that wants to start from just like okay well what is this about how can I do this thing and and uh and and jump just into form can I ask you a question yeah go for do, it. You, do you feel like that's a problem I you know what I don't think it's a yeah, I do yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I, I have a complicated relationship to it, actually. Mm. I think 
on on many levels i don't think it's a problem but on mm-hmm. on one level of of uh um the the times when i when you sort of get that joy where like where something comes together mm-hmm. through form and that mm-hmm. it abides where the visual logic mm-hmm. determines that sort of theoretical uh-huh. logic uh-huh. that's like there's there's no feeling like that yeah, like, there's yeah. nothing yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 no that's great curious. no yeah I mean, it's so funny that you asked that because I think that I'm, I think probably more than anything, I'm confusing my students by demanding like both directions simultaneously mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's really interesting. Something I'm, I'm kind of constantly interested in is the relationship between writing and design. And it's interesting that that's kind of come up a couple times here, you know, even talking about the way you think about teaching design is kind of thinking about teaching writing and then talking about that relationship. And I've taught both design classes but I've also taught a couple writing classes and uh, I'm interested in the overlap between them and so um, while what you're talking about is not my process I kind of get it Um, I actually kind of like it I actually think there's something really interesting about not jumping right into that form I, I don't see it as a problem, mm-hmm. I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So it's interesting that, that you're kind of wrestling with that. But I, I mean, I also ask kind of in relation to what you were saying earlier, or I mean, this is also something that we talk about, like that form, yeah, form is writing, yeah. like designing yeah. is writing, like making, I mean, there, okay, so there's like, there's this notion of literacy, right? Like you can look at a, a typeface and you can read it verbally, you can see, you can get the sounds out of it that say CMAG, but there's also these other signals in the form of it that tell you, maybe because the Saros, it tells you it, it makes it uh, resemble something more classical or, uh, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's another project that I'm doing with someone else, uh, a designer named Sung Young Moon, and we're looking at um, like chop suey uh, typefaces, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Chinese writing. Brush scripts. And Brush script. Yeah, yeah, there's there's like another there's a different dimension or not a different there's another dimension of of literacy there that's that doesn't have much to do with like the kind of uh, uh, verbal content of the form, but like the you know the brush script like alludes to Chinese brush script, but then that's like you can like unfold that into so much other kind of like. I mean, it's so embedded in American yeah. history, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the typeface then yeah. becomes is so part of of. Yeah. Uh, like the history of, of yeah. Chinese immigration in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, sort of. I, I'm reminded of of something that when I talked to Michael Rock for the podcast, he he described design as an elaborate form of writing, and that both writing and design are a way to give form to ideas. And writing does that by taking these pre-existing words and putting them together in new ways to make sentences and paragraphs, etc. And that design is also taking these pre-existing things, colors, shapes images and putting them together in a new way to kind of give form. And I think that's kind of it's something I think about all the time is that, that both of these acts are doing the same thing, just with different kind of raw materials uh, in some way. I mean, I, w- I want to go back to the document for a second and, and um, this, this, well, the genre of the document, um, which encompasses things like maps and like property things mm-hmm. like these are sort of like design artifacts that give form to the idea of yeah. private property. So like this, this notion does not exist without some kind of graphical representation. There's nothing inherently in the ground 
that makes something private property, except for that it's documented right. and filed by some kind of bureau. And then, of course, that it's protected by state power, right? Like if you cross a line and someone has a gun, they can make you stop crossing that line. But it's just a line, right? It's a graphic form. So this is, in, in the sense, like graphic form writes into being. It, there's a kind of po poetic po moment. Poesis. Poesis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moment where graphics creates the thing. It writes it yeah. into being. Because yeah, every border is a mark before it is like a yeah. a, a ter like a mark before it is a territory like a yeah. paper mark yeah. before it's yeah. a yeah. territorial yeah. mark. You know, ownership is is. I mean, it's so funny actually to think about about the few. I, I've been sort of trying to wrestle with the fact that um, the history of documents is very much in embedded in the history of letterpress, embedded in the yeah. history of creating the blank form that you fill out with your name and be the like stock certificate. Yeah. The, the, you know, yeah, all the passport, all this stuff. Exactly. Um, but it's it, in, engraving and yeah, and it's, it's changing, right? It's, it, it, but it's still, it's still deeply ensconced in, in what designers think of as being their own discourse. It's mm -hmm. now it's, it's, it's becoming a UX problem. Right. It's becoming yeah, this, yeah. This, uh, that, that mm -hmm. the form it's, it's not just, it's how the, that data gets managed, but it's also mm -hmm. the front, uh, sort of interaction with that data. Mm -hmm. Um, that that it and and so the fact that this that this sort of parallel relationship exists is like further proof in my mind that that continuity is real and not yeah, just yeah, yeah. like mm -hmm. harping on yeah you know i just asked ali about his background and chris when i was kind of looking at your work and your background i saw that you had worked at both meta haven and bruce mao and at first glance uh -huh. those two places seem like they couldn't be more opposite uh as as an outsider who who is who you know only knows just a, a bit about both of them can you are those as opposite as it seems like or, or kind of can you talk about both of those and what you took from them and how they influenced your thinking uh yeah i i mean i think they're actually pretty similar on the okay. level of um and it's a small level. There's more differences, I think, but they're similar on on the level that they. I would say that they're both pretty mm. research oriented, um, you know, and that can mean different. It means different things in those two contexts, but that's the main thing. And they're both very much design studios. I, I think Metahaven for a lot of people is known amongst graphic designers more for like their yeah. speculative work and their how their filmmaking work and, and this kind of thing. Um, but when I was there, I was kind of like helping them out with their job. Oh, interesting. Work, which is, they don't tend to show as much, but, you know, I mean, it's still a big part of the practice. And I think, I think they would, uh, uh, I might get an email about this later, but I think they would like much think of themselves as designers, but also with the caveat that there's a, that's a very kind of unstable yeah, yeah, position, yeah. right? They're other spaces with that, that term. Um, they're very different in terms of scale um, and also I think very different in terms of political orientation. Um, but you know, th those things are not as obvious, right. I think. This conversation has been so interesting to me and especially just kind of talking about these ideas that, that are a part of your practice, but also a part of, of the C magazine issue that you edited. And I'm, I'm wondering now that the issue is out and done um, or, you know, complete as much as something can be complete. I know you talked about 
wanting to do more, that there's more to this. I'm interested in what you're both are thinking about now or what's next or what are the ideas that you're really uh, kind of getting excited about right now? I don't want to speak for both of us, but I feel like we're both in a place where we're like, oh, this was really fun. We need to find a new forum to, to keep delving into this and, and not just not just the, uh, the sort of content and that sort of specific uh, framework that we're using, but also just like, editing together like it's been mm-hmm. it, it was a fun project and i think like we need to we're, we're both trying to figure out how to continue that mm-hmm. practice for sure yeah um uh recently for me i've been sort of uh i've been starting to look at affect theory a little mm-hmm. bit more mm-hmm. and starting to think about how that relates uh i mean i, I start starting to think about that in relation to some of the sort of like digital tools that i find myself getting more and more addicted to mm-hmm. and, yeah, yeah. and um so i i've been trying to to sort of sort sort this quite like this question out a little bit um um that's kind of mm-hmm. where i'm at uh I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I have like a bunch of collaborations with people, um, uh, like like the one I just mentioned earlier, where we're looking at uh, ethnic yeah. typography, um, uh, and and that one's more specifically about like using a kind of typographical historical uh, uh, lens, let's say, um, to look at the history of um, Black and Asian mm. solidarity uh, internationally. Um, and sort of like processing that research through typographic design. And we're, so we're making a bunch of fucked up typefaces um, uh, that will be fully original. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's another collaborative project that I'm, I'm doing with uh, an architect named Steve Chodorowsky and a curator named Julie Nimi, where we've been doing research about this anarchist college that used to be part of the University of Buffalo, mm. SUNY. Um, and like looking at their archival materials and thinking about the syllabus as a form of publication. Um, uh, so we're actually doing a project at Wendy Subway um, in Brooklyn in August. Um, stuff like that. And then I have like this like really slow ongoing project uh, uh it's kind of a history, historical research into the parallel relationship between the development of money and typography, or writing oh, and money. So there's a kind of, five, you know, five, 6,000 year kind of narrative arc that I'm um, constructing that's very much inspired by Lisa Gittleman and people like Johanna Drucker. But yeah, there's, there's, that's like a, a long-term project that, that's just taking a long time for me. Um, yeah, I mean, that sounds so interesting. And it's it kind of leads into my last question. And you've already mentioned a bunch of people and books kind of throughout this conversation. But I always end the podcast with um, uh, who are some of the, the, the books or the authors or critics or writers who have really influenced how you kind of think about all of this that we've been talking about today? I don't know if we've mentioned her. Lisa <laughs> I don't I don't know that name. <laughs> I, um, I've been running, I've been a part of sort of a reading group in the past, for the past couple of years. And I think um, recently, well, to be honest, that like recently what I've been reading, like we, we finished uh, the Das Kapital volume oh, one. Oh, nice. We, yes, and then we were, then we fit that right after that, we read uh, Sylvia Federici's Caliban and the Witch sort of, I think we're 
just like really interested in, in sort of uh, looking at all of these different um, sort of like uh, looking at Marxism and sort of interpretations of Marxism, yeah. this sort of feminism and uh, we're just starting uh, Shakespeare's The Tempest. Uh, we're just going to do like a, like kind of an out loud reading of it because just that's there were cool. so many references to it that we've kind of been curious about. And then after that is uh, we're, we're after that, we're about to start um, Harry Braverman's Labor and Monopoly Capitalism. I don't know that. And I think we, uh, it's it's an older book. I think it might be from the '60s, but it's sort of like addressing this the the sort of um, uh, it's addressing uh, Taylorism in mm. a lot of ways. So some sort of uh, micromanagement of, of human mm. movements as it relates. And I, cool. I think I think that's starting to get into um, that conversation a little bit more. Yeah, Johanna Drucker. Uh, I mean, when I started teaching, I I, I got uh, saddled with it history of design course mm. and uh the johanna drucker and emily mcmarish's book was the only one that i thought was, was yeah taller more than taller but it was yeah. good right it's like very good at giving context and and uh and yeah anyway um also uh another contributor to c magazine um dr winona stevenson uh who is an indigenous studies scholar uh, out west in western canada um just a, a, an essay uh, by her about the, the um, story around the invention of the Cree syllabary, the Cree writing mm. system, and really kind of in a, a, a useful, uh, or, yeah, it's a very provocative and interesting kind of thing for me to just always have in mind. Um, and then there's, uh, yeah, a couple I mentioned before, Benedict Anderson, right. uh, James C. Scott, um, these kinds of writers right now I, I just finished reading after holding off uh, or waiting for too long um paulo freddy's uh pedagogy oh, i just bought that that's my next that's literally the next thing i'm gonna read i Same i've been here. putting it's it been off too <laughs> yeah it's it's been gathering yeah. dust on my yeah. on my nightstand for yeah for a really long yeah. time now, yeah <laughs> now i'm on to um uh, wretched of the earth france <laughs> yeah nice that's where I'm at now. So, I mean, to kind of bring it back to the magazine and our practices, like, I don't know if this, it doesn't always work, but like, I always look for the moments of graphic design. Yeah. Where, like I really read, I find them. Uh, and, and they're always there because it kind of permeates everything. You yeah. Mm -hmm. You can find it. I mean, if you not, I mean, not graphic design specifically, but like visualization. Right. Um, like how, how things are known because of how they're seen like the, this is always in a lot of these texts i love I, you did a great job of, <laughs> of wrapping this up and kind of bringing it right back full circle um guys thank you so much this was so interesting to me i loved the issue i love talking to you thank you so much for this conversation and for being on the podcast i'm a i'm a fan of what you're doing thank you thank you so we're much fans yeah we're both oh, definitely yeah, that, that means yeah. a lot this episode was recorded on June 4th, 2019. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>